Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 100, was recorded live January 26, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. This is episode 100. Here are some of the stories we have in the news this week. Underwater prehistoric bears, underwater grass growers, and objects washing ashore. And this week I'd like to welcome on episode 100 my co-host Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad to be here and congrats on the 100th. Thank you very much and then thank you for helping me along those. You've been on, I'd say, close to at least 40 of those 100. And then we've... Go ahead. Been on a couple. You've been on more than one, and I certainly appreciate it. And also, we certainly appreciate everybody who's listening in the chat room, everybody who downloads the podcast. You know, when when we started this show a couple of years ago, who who would have thought that we'd have had this many people show up? It's such a great group. We really appreciate having everybody listen, and and we do it for you. So let us know how you like what you like, and we'll keep going. We're gonna hopefully we'll get at least uh, another two hundred or so out of this show. And then also this week, uh, a little bit later, we'll have Jim Schultz will be coming in, uh, helping us along with some of the stories. And then maybe we'll pull some people in from the chat room uh, towards the end of the show and let everybody say a little bit. So uh, make sure you got Skype all fired up and we'll bring you on in. Uh, What we're going to do is we'll start with the news. we got a full news week. Uh, You can go ahead, uh, if you're not following us on Scoop It, uh, you're missing out. We have articles that we post every day on Scoop It. And many of those articles, what makes it in the show at the beginning of the week. This first one is prehistoric bears found in an underwater Mexican cave. And uh, I, I think it's the cave that's underwater and not the bears. This one's on Sotuta, Mexico. Uh, it's on eastern Me- Mexico. Archaeologists uncovered ancient remains of four prehistoric bears in the Yucatan Pen- Peninsula. Officials believe they could date back to the Ice Age. Uh, they are, they say the skulls are 11,000 years old in an ancient sinkhole or cenote that they found in 2011. And then uh, one of them says here in the site, there were paleontology items, probably very old. Fauna was considered not in existence in this area. This area is very big, deep, and we have not finished exploring. And his name is Guler Mo D. Andy Analysis. Oh my gosh, I slaughtered his name. I apologize. Uh, the skulls were taken 50 meters uh, below the surface, about 164 feet deep. And they said the conditions were I- ideal for preserving them. We have found a large quantity of remains of bears. Some of them are clearly of Mayan origin, have such characteristics in the skull. Their structure and bones are direct links to the ancient Maya origin. There's a pair of cenotes and very direct relationship of most extinct Oh, paleo, paleotocene fauna, uh, I'm not even close, and the rest of humans. Uh, the water level markings in the underwater cave suggest that Sonoti was not filled with water during the bear's lifetime. Uh, it provides crucial insight to the effect of climate change and the end of the ice age for scientists. I didn't realize scientists were in the middle of an ice age. So, 
interesting. I always like to, to see those articles on the archaeology. I'd like to see or know how what the surface level of that was. You know what I'm saying? Like we're at 650 foot in our area. Uh-huh. So if we went down 164 feet, we'd still be, you know, 400 foot above sea level. Oh, I see you're saying so below I'm, the surface. Curious, right. I'm curious where they were or what the, the actual elevation is to see how far down that is. Because you think about that. That's a lot of water. Yeah. And well, if they're, they're in the lowland, that's sort of interesting. But if they were in highlands, that suggests that we had a lot more water covering the earth. And they're talking about, you know, and it obviously receded mm-hmm. and then came back. So it's like, well, high water mark, it's going to be here again one day. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, yeah, and, and this is my opinion on climate change, and many people are probably going to disagree. I think the planet has gone through these cycles before. And it's going to go through it again. And we're just in the cycle where everything's going to start melting. So whether you believe we're uh, speeding it up or not, I don't think you're going to be able to turn it back. At least not in the next 30 or 40 generations. I think we're on that path for warmer and we need to get ready for warmer instead of thinking that we're going to slow it down. Well, you're talking only 10,000, 11,000 years for the ice age here at Lake Michigan in this area. Yeah. That's not very long when you're talking about how long the Earth has been here. Yeah, yeah. So we've gone through these cycles, and we happen to have an ice age cycle, and now we're in a melting cycle, and it likes to teeter back and forth. So, uh, and I don't, I don't think I've got the article in the news this week, but you know, you're starting to see uh, the methane hydrates that have been frozen and sequestered for a while are starting to melt, which you know, methane's a greenhouse gas, so you know, it's ten times more of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So we haven't even begun to see anything yet. And that's, and that's stuff that you can't blame us. We didn't, I don't know, pass gas, you know, 30,000 years ago and freeze it underneath the Arctic. It's just a natural process. And I think that will release and the planet will warm up. And then as we do our cycle, then it will cool down. But we just well, happen to just be. Like, I was going to, just like the poles actually reverse their polarities. Yeah. That's happened multiple times. The only thing is we really don't know how long it takes to do that whether it was years or days, I, yeah. I bet it's obviously like it is now. It's, you're talking years and you're talking hundreds of years. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's nothing new. We're just, we just weren't around then. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're in a cycle and, and people are welcome to disagree with me. You know, you, we can chat on Facebook or Twitter, uh, but I, I think we give ourselves too much credit. Not that we're not changing the environment uh, on our own, but uh, I, I think that the, the earth is, is much larger than we are. Uh, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is seeking underwater grass growers, and I don't think uh, we're, they we're talking about that type of grass. Okay, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the the uh, the hemp variety of plants is is what they're looking for. Uh, the program is recruit people to grow underwater grasses in their homes, schools, and buses that are later planted in tributaries in the bay. Uh, they say these underwater grasses are critical to the bay's health and help ward off pollution, provide food and shelter for the blue crabs, fish, and waterfowl. The foundation is sponsoring a workshop in Richmond, northern Virginia, and the Hampton Roads area for volunteers. Each person who attends gets a grow kit, seeds, and instructions. <laughs> there is a fee of $40 for each grow kit. Workshops are planned in early February, so Chesapeake Bay is going to grow some grass. It, it's interesting looking at some of the comments by the people affected by this. You got the pros and cons when you look at some of them in there. In, in the on the grass, right? Mm-hmm. So I what think are the, the key what are the, one, 
we see around here is the fertilizing of your land that's in proximity to the lake or the river uh-huh. uh, because we do a lot of messing around with the with the biology of the lake when we put too much fertilizer with uh, oh yeah phosphate in it certainly yeah yeah we're when when like Pawpaw Lake I think is a perfect example you know everybody's got lawns that go right to the water and then they they run their fertilizer all over it and then they they sprinkle them and water them and that gets in the lake and that just gives the weeds a a shot in the arm and they grow like crazy so what are they saying in the in the chats below that article are they talking about uh, that they don't need the grass well some of them are saying it's just uh, more government regulations trying to get the homeowners to just do stuff they can't get anybody else to do because they live by the lake and the people, even though they're not right on the waterline, effectively affect it also. Yeah. So it's not just them. And well, they always get the bad rap when it's a lot of that is still the farmers. But then they got to eat. So you're not going to please everybody. No, and they then the chat room wants the uh, the link for where to get the grass. <laughs> Make so, sure they know it's the other grass. Well, they'll find out the hard way. <laughs> Plus, it doesn't light well underwater. Um and and we we got an article a little bit later on that talks about some of the things that go in into the water in our video of the week. The uh, and then this is one that I had a chat with people online this last week, and this is the Wakala Springs cave diving debate. Uh, a meeting was held last Thursday night to allow the public to weigh in on whether or not the main spring and the Wakala State Park should be open to recreational diving. Uh, the meeting lasted over three hours. People expressed concern on wildlife, visitors to the park, and rich in history. Others said the desire to dive at the spring was being misinterpreted. One person said, I thought it was a good turnout. Had 253 people on the sign-in sheet, so I think it was an excellent representation of the public. And that was Brian Fugate, park manager. Uh, officials are going to review all the comments and decide what to do next. Uh, one gentleman was against the proposal. He said, how do you weigh or balance expert testimony from research and archaeologists against people who just want to come and dive? Many people in the dive industry said it would be key to allowing uh, re- regulated diving. People could safely open water dive in Wakala Springs and not have a problem as long as they stick to diving with a certification and training limit was an area diver. Uh, as for issues about divers disrupting swimmers in the park, divers say it's a non-issue. There are other state parks where cave diving and swimming all coexist, and there's really been no problem. The park's busy season begins in March. All parties hope to have an answer by then. Uh, we also, on the online, on Twitter, uh, there's some comments. And some some of the expert divers, some of the cave divers, were actually against it because they th- they one thing they didn't say in the article was that they say it's actually quite a treacherous cave dive. So I don't know if it's uh, a lot of current. And they were also saying there's plenty of spots on the property that are already set up for cave diving. So they say there really isn't a need to have this one. And then one of them, they said, and one of the divers said, well, he thought it was too dangerous that average divers would uh, get in trouble easily. And that kind of, you know, my point on that was who's to decide who's got the skill level to dive there or not. I mean, if you're cave certified, is that enough? Does somebody have to prove you're an excellent cave diver? Well, you take a look at the people who do a lot of the research diving, they still get killed and they're doing it the right way. So I don't think you can blame it all on inexperience. It goes, like you said, who is qualified? Yeah. You may have a bad day. Yeah, you can have a bad day. And then, you know, and, and maybe that's part of it is, uh, you know, what what make the conditions there tough? Is it the current, you know, and, and how how is the current affected? You know, if it rains 100 miles away, does that make the current stronger? 
I, I don't know enough about the cave systems in Florida to know how that works. Is it better It'll to, be interesting to see the follow up on it? Yeah, so it, it's not over with yet, but uh, there's going to be some debate. That you know, 253 people, uh, and and it, it seemed to be all across the board. You had some people just didn't want any any more people. That there's already too many divers. There's some comment back to the second set. Uh, like one of the guys said, I'm an experienced live cave diver who knows my limits. I cannot see where recreational diving, recreational diving, has any place at the spring. I've witnessed recovery, not rescue, at Radium Springs in uh, Albany, Georgia, Madison Blue. Both cave entrances were less than 30 feet deep to dive safely at, well, how do you say it, Wakala? That, that's how I'm going to say it. Okay. <laughs> Would require equipment beyond the budget of almost all recreational divers. While divers have an element of, well, diving, all diving has an element of danger. Any dive is subject to Murphy's Law, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like that must be a very deep one. Mm-hmm. And that most people who come there don't have the uh, expertise or the range of equipment necessarily to do a safe dive. Yeah. Well, my thought on that one is that you just have to, you know, if you put a post out there and explain what the conditions are, explain the speed of the current, explain the depth, explain the complexity. I don't know if they've got a complexity for cave diving, but uh, then you leave it up to the divers. I mean, we've got wrecks at 250 feet. Why aren't we seeing... Uh, uh, a bunch of recreational divers kill themselves on it. And I think it's because they're smart enough to know uh, where things are outside their their expertise. I mean, not everybody. You're going to have some numbskulls that are going to... I think that up here where we're at, if you go down like in Bahamas or something, you can go down 100, 200 feet. And if you've got visibility, your orientation and your fear factor is totally different than if you did 150 or 200 in the dark. Yeah. And I, I'm just wondering if there's a correlation there. How deep, I mean, when it gets deep down there, does the water temperature change a lot? I, I really don't know. Yeah, I uh, I don't know in the caves either if, if how that goes. And uh, Jim, how how you doing? We also have Jim Schultz here. I'm good, thank you. Sorry I was late joining. No problem. So uh, you, you have any input on the cave diving? I've only done a little bit of cavern diving. And I loved it. Uh, I'll use Ginny Springs as an example. You know, they've got pretty strict standards about if you're not cave certified, no lights. Uh, And then at the cave entrance from the cavern, they've really got it well marked. And basically it says, warning, go beyond here and you may die. So, you know, if you're dumb enough to ignore the warnings and go where you're not prepared to be, you pay the consequences. Yeah, and somebody in the chat room, I think it was Lynch Diver, was talking about that maybe they just have a, need to have people do a fee up front and pay for the recovery if they don't make it. Kind of like the Mount Everest, uh, bring your own body bag. Okay. You know, um, that, uh, you know yeah, yeah, prepay, and if you come back alive, you get a refund. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Motivation. <laughs> so uh, next one up is... Uh, and it seems like this one's been all over the news this last week. The new celebrity fitness trend, scuba diving. And the article says uh, that celebrities like Jessica Alba, Sandra Bullock, Katie Holmes, Nina Dor- Dorbrev uh, are all doing scuba diving and saying it's not only fun, it's also an excellent workout. They're saying that scuba burns tons of calories, which is why everybody in a dive, dive club is so fit and slim looking. Uh, and who's scuba- dive club? 
<laughs> and scuba diving provides a full body workout that combines cardio strength, training to burn calories, tones muscles, and improves breathing. Although your body is buoyant underwater, you feel virtually weightless. While scuba diving, maneuvering through water requires constant motion for your entire body, thus toning and strengthening muscles in your thighs, shoulders, and your core. Constant motion? <laughs> If you're swimming against current, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're doing the opposite of a drift dive. I uh, mean, you see the number of calories they say they burn? Uh, I wish. Well, you know, maybe we're putting them back on after after the dive is, is could be our problem. Uh, but they're saying it's not uncommon to burn 500 plus calories during one workout. And they're saying 30 minutes. Yeah, they're saying the diving lasting 30 to 45 minutes. They said the average woman is 400 calories. I should look like a manorexic, I suppose. <laughs> as much as you dive. Well, like you said, may, maybe it would be much worse if we didn't. Yeah, the chat room is, is volunteering to dive with some models. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, is got to keep up with the models. All right, now if you're chasing them, I can understand. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad they got this out because, uh, you know, maybe that's going to get more people into diving. And I, and I think getting out and doing some activity, I mean, I'm I'm burning a lot more energy and calories than if I was just sitting on the couch or working on a computer, but I wouldn't call it a workout. And, and if you're getting an aerobic workout, now maybe an aerobic workout is the hauling of gear from the vehicle down to the beach. That I can understand. You know, the, the weight belt and hefting it over the shoulder and helping your buddy out who's wearing a doubles tanks. That's why uh, a wheelbarrow comes in handy. Yeah. Now in the article, did you catch the weight, the websites of the writer? No. One of her websites is Fit Bottomed Girls and Fit Bottom Mamas. Okay. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, maybe we get some celebrities. And that leads us right in the next article. So we're talking about celebrities diving. We have Drew Barrymore. And I kind of like to know, is this, I mean, I like Drew Barrymore. I always think of her as E.T. They like to say she was in Charlie's Angels. I don't know if they're, if Charlie's Angels is a movie that they need to be bragging about. But Drew Barrymore, she's got a new movie coming out, and it's the one where you've seen the commercials with the whales and uh, trying to, uh, they're going to be trapped under the ice and get them out. So, And I haven't seen anything other than the previews, but you pretty much know what the plot of the movie is going to be. But Drew Barrymore is saying it felt excruciating pain scuba diving in Alaska. So my question is, is that encouraging diving or is that discouraging diving, especially ice diving? Obviously, she didn't have a dry suit. Well, that's what I, I I've... I've only seen the commercials and it shows her in a dry suit and one shot you can tell they CG bubbles in front of her mouth. So I was thinking she wasn't even in doing an ice dive, but then this article is saying that she actually was doing a nice job, an ice dive. Uh, she was, uh, she, the director of the film, he had us in Alaska on this ice slow. We felt like we were working with the snow globe theater. I got to swim in freezing cold Alaskan waters with Harbor seals. Um, they were trying to keep it authentic, so she went and did uh, underwaters, but she was met instantly with excruciating pain. It felt like knives going through my body. It was insane. They told me temperature was 34 degrees. I was like, that doesn't sound so bad. Then you get in and you're like, ouch, I feel very bad at pretending or faking things. I really want to do, transport myself, sort of believe whatever scenario I'm in. Ouch. So now, does any has anybody seen it? Was she... Like they're saying in the chat room, obviously it wasn't a dry suit, but the clip I saw, she was in a dry suit. But maybe, I also heard somebody say that there was like a scene where she went in without. So if she went in without, yeah, that would definitely be ouch. And I can't even believe insurance would let her go in. That would be a, stupid. <laughs> yeah, without a dry suit. 
Yeah, that that would be nuts. So yeah, without a dry suit, you know, and and, and we're ice diving in wetsuits. So uh, you know, you just, you just don't do your first dive ice dive in a in a wetsuit. Oh, is she is she scuba qualified, or does that really say? It never said, but I'm I mean, you're not going to let somebody get in the water without being certified. I'm I'm guessing. Uh, she says the experience wasn't all bad. She was fortunate enough to meet the heroes behind the real life. 1988 rescue. She says, we worked with people and families who have been in Alaska for generations, whose parents were involved with the rescue of the whales. It was great. So good for diving, not good for diving. (laughs) Maybe not so good for ice diving. But then again, we even have problems with getting regular divers to ice dive. And then we have an article, 13 dive locations you must do before you die. I don't know how they got the list down to only 13. So we'll just go through a couple of the items or locations. The Philippines. Now, Macca, Jim, have you ever done dove the Philippines yet? No. I've hey, done. I'm a Lake Michigan, and that's about it. A little bit out in San Francisco. I've never been down there to the sunny south. Yeah. Those Caribbean things, that's just all <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, I, I don't think I would like that warm, clear water. Yeah, it's it, uh, it's I, just not diving to me. It, it, I think it might be a little dangerous. Scary. So let's see. So the the first one up was the Philippines, seventy one thousand islands. They're saying it's a great place to go diving, and then Mac, we've got Aquaba in Jordan, and they said one of the coolest places about that dive is a government approved submerged tank. So they actually have a tank that's uh, growing as part of the reef. We've got Thailand, Japan, uh, Taiwan, and southern China. The Western Caribbean, Southeast Asia. Now that's kind of cheating. When you say Western, I mean they're like you know, like Philippines, seventy-one thousand. That's like you might as well just say any place there's water. <laughs> of course, the one thing I did notice is they didn't say anything about the Great Lakes. I think you got to come up here before you dive. You haven't, you haven't. This, these are all just beginner dives. Great Barrier Reef. That's a dive I'd like to do someday. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's there's no place I I wouldn't love to dive. That's on my list right after the Andrea Doria. Great Barrier Reef. Victoria has always been on my list. Yeah. Well, it's always been a someday dive. Yeah. And they, they don't have Galapagos on here. I would think that would be a good one. I mean, my idea is I'd like to go to France again and dive around, <laughs> you know, the, the, the canal. They got to be stuff out there. <laughs> go by so, a castle and so, dive the moat. So what's our what's our own list? So let, let, let's say, you know, forget these tropical locations. What's, what's the best for uh, mucking around and mudding? So you've got you got the river in France. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere that's got a thousand year history. You can yeah. find some good bottles out there. <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know, there's got to be something near Iraq. Isn't there like Iraq, Iran? Shouldn't they have some good rivers to go diving in? I don't know. I'm more I s- European, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I, I saw uh, was it Egypt? They were doing some river diving there, and they were finding some amazing things. They got crocodiles there, don't they? Yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, a little uh, detour you might have to do in there. Hey, we always have Sheboygan and Duncan Bay. What more could you want? That's hey, a tropical. You want to do some grubbing? There's some grubbing ground. <laughs> and next up, this one's not directly uh, scuba diving, but I, I always like it when we figure out other things to do with the water. I'd love to get some information on what they're doing here. Scientists are making underwater biofuel breakthrough. Uh, it's a project by the Bioarchaeology Lab of Berkeley, California, engineered to strain a bacteria that digests brown seaweed to produce ethanol. 
The seaweed is already produced in huge quantities around the world without taking up freshwater arable land. One of the scientists said the brown seaweed is abundant and in some varieties such as giant kelp can grow as much as one meter a day. The biofuels are produced by a number of different crops at present. Some produce negligible amounts of energy compared to what is required to cultivate and harvest them. They can also say they can use sugarcane or corn, also use up valuable arable land, displaces crops that could be used for food. So looking for alternatives such as uh, jathropa and algae. Guys, somebody's, somebody's going to kill me on all these mispronunciations. They said it's harder to unlock energy from these alternatives and the challenges that have bioengineers are targeting. Separate team of researchers from the Pusan National University in Korea is developing a two-pronged plan to use algae and seaweed both as a carbon sink and as a source for biofuels. So I wonder if they can put this stuff in a, in a still. I don't know. You got to get the alcohol is what you're looking for, isn't it? Yeah. yeah well, they're saying the, the algae will make it, but, you know, you, you can turn anything into a cash crop if you make alcohol out of it. True. I always think it's interesting that, quote, though, biofuels are produced from a number of different crops at present. However, some produce negligible amounts of energy compared to what is required to cultivate and harvest them Yeah. and produce that. I, Ethanol is a good example of that. Yeah, because what they're saying is that you got to put a lot of energy into getting it out. So. <laughs> And if it was not subsidized, they would not be doing it. No, no. And and eventually that's going to bounce itself out. You know, you, you, you're you going to stop subsidizing it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go. Um, so this next one up is uh, underwater archaeology, the hunt for the ancient mariner. So this one, Mac, I mean, this, this sounds a little bit more like uh, up your alley, looking for something over a thousand years old. Mediterranean, baby. Got to go to Mediterranean. Yep. So it's a Mediterranean. Add that to the list. So that, that one have to be there. Uh, uh, archaeologists from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts, uh, they're uh, doing some diving and identified two clusters of pottery during the 1st century B.C., 5th century A.D. Together with other remains, his team has discovered an island submerged slopes, pots that reveal centuries, Greek, Roman, and Byzantine traders using Dia as a refuge during storms where they could reach the safe, where they couldn't reach safely Crete. Uh, he said it's a nice archaeological discovery, but he's hoping for something much older. His four-week survey of the waters around the Crete last October is part of a long-term effort to catalog large numbers of ancient shipwrecks, the Minoans who ruled these seas more than 3,000 years ago. So, yeah, I think that, that now that now we're getting a little bit more into your uh, age, age, Mac, we could you could find some good good bottles there. Well, over here, the marine archaeology in Athens described uh, uh, the dream of every marine archaeologist. It took 10 years to excavate. Researchers are still studying nearly 17 tons of treasures recovered. Vast cargo includes ebony, ivory, ostrich eggs, resins, spices, weapons. Yes, sir. Jewelry. That's even better. Textiles, as well as ingots of copper, tin, and glass. Now, that's my kind of stuff. There you go. Well, you're talking about, here's one here. 11 different cultures they have identified there, including a gold scarab bearing the name of the Egyptian queen Nefertiti to copper from Cyprus and tin from Asia. Okay, that's where we need to go, guys. Okay, so that goes in the show. Actually, the second photo, they got our dive boat, Mac. That is absolutely um, perfect. Look, I see one photo, but I don't see the second one. Well, if you if you look underneath the photo, they've got little boxes with numbers in them, one through five. Yep, gotcha. Yep, they got a side scan sonar. Okay, that's my boat. That's right. That's a good one. Yeah, see, I, I think that's it. So I think we found it. 
club fundraiser. I mean, you could definitely put a mailbox on that hook in the back. Yeah, well, just think of everything you could do on that. Now, what do you think that back is for? Uh, it's got to be some kind of lifting, pivoting m- m- item. Oh, I think you're like right. So maybe, so like maybe if you're going to lift that cannon or that chest of gold, you'd prop that out over the back and then have a block and tackle. Um, I would. I'd have me a little barge with a moon pole, man. <laughs> At first, it almost looks like a moon pole. Yeah, James in chat room saying that's a crane for lifting things out. Works for me. Yeah. So there you go. In fact, I'm even going to save that picture. Tell my wife that's for my what she get me for my birthday. <laughs> Lots of luck. Small. You better have that winning lottery gold. ticket first. The Willy Wonka one, a little gold ticket. I would say that boat's about a 25, 30 footer. Uh, at the least. <laughs> it's got a lot of freeboard in the back. It's nice. Yeah. I'd be a nice boat for us. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Then next up we have claims reveal. Oh, let's see. Yeah, claim reveal underwater Mayan city and contact with ET. All right. So now we're getting somewhere. So let's not only find something where you can find some ancient things to dive on, but you can also touch spots touched by aliens. Well, I've been looking for that spaceship lost in the river for a long time. I haven't found it yet. Yeah, we're probably going just a few feet by it. But this one is uh, out of the Hollywood Reporter documentary claims to reveal underwater Mayan city in contact with ETs, producers called the most important archaeological find of the history of all mankind. The underwater Mayan city, a millennium-old landing pad once used for spacecraft and human contact with extraterrestrials. Uh, so, James wants to know yes. if ET needs scuba gear. Well, I think he needs scuba gear. Now, I don't think he does when he's underwater, but I think when he's above water, he needs it because they, they can't breathe our oxygen-rich air. See, actually, I think what they're doing is they placed methane, you know, they, they, they trapped plants underground so it would bring methane to warm the planet so we get the methane levels up to the volumes that they have. Wasn't that the, wasn't that the plot of, of a sci-fi series in the 90s? Sounds familiar. So when are we going to be able to see this? Well, I'm guessing it's going to come, come out sometime in the year. It says Revelations of the Mayans 2012 and beyond. So they better get it out because they don't have much time. We've got less than a year that's before the world the calendar ends. went. <laughs> ah, but right so over here it says, experts have dismissed such notions. They point out that December 21st, 2012 is the exact date when the 5,126-year cycle comes to an end and in no way signals Armageddon. So, all right, now we, we're not going to have Armageddon. We're good. Yeah, they said, in fact, it's going to – calendar resets with a new cycle. Well, our, our calendar ends every year. But it hasn't stopped many TV producers from talking on the doomsday effort, so – Hey, if it sells some tickets, they're all for it. Yeah, did you look at the comments all the way down at the bottom? No, no, I'm afraid now, to. Now, they're now claiming there's more planets than there are stars that are habitable. Well, we're starting to see that. I've been following that in the uh, scientific papers and you know just how many planets they've verified. And they're getting them to where they can almost see them that are Earth-sized. So, yeah, they, they think that there's far more planets than stars now. In fact, they think it's kind of rare for a star not to have planets. Okay, so E.T. underwater, let's go. And then now, now we're getting into some good stuff. We have uh, divers off. Uh, divers find a British World War II bomber off the Swedish coast. So uh, this, is, this is one of those where I, I think that, you know, how great that would be to discover one of these. So the, uh, the remains of a World War II Halifax bomber and is found in the waters off the coast of southern Sweden. 
When we got down there, we expected it to be a rock, but as we pulled seaweed away, we saw it was metal parts, said diver Lass Carlson, uh, and it was quoted in the local paper City Miamo. Discovery has been kept secret since the summer, occurred during a university-funded expedition to explore the ocean environment in the region. The Coast Guard registered objects and seabed some 10 kilometers outside of Campingi Bay. When divers went for a closer look, they discovered metal scrap parts spread over a 100-meter radius. It's really interesting find. The first time in the last 10 years that a plane with a machine gun ammunition has been found in Swedish waters. Well, I'm quite sure it wasn't really intact since there was nobody on board when it crashed. Two engines were already out of the four, and they mm-hmm. said it was struck by lightning. Huh. That, that would be a good thing to be in. <laughs> Still be cool to find something like that, though, even if it was parts as parts. After bailing out over Skane County, all men survived. Regional history has it that the pilot, reportedly last to leave the plane, landed on a cow in a nearby field. After questioning a six-month internment, the crew was returning to the UK. So why was Sweden, this is maybe a weakness in my World War II history, why would Sweden have held them? I'm trying to remember why. Yeah, did did Germany have control of Sweden at that time? And if they did... Why would they even let him go? I can't remember which one it was, Norway or Sweden, that the Germans actually came in, but they let the people still govern themselves. But they were... I, th- I think you're right. It was... Uh, not, as, not as extreme as if they were the Nazis taking over the country per se by itself. Is that kind of bad when the Germans come in and say, yeah, okay, you can stay for yourselves. Okay... So that let's see, we got we got a couple more on the docket. After three years after an accident, uh, a boat washes up in Spain. Now this somebody's missing some marketing opportunity out of this one. Keep the licking keeps on ticking. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, uh, you know, that, that uh, whoever made the boat should be what they should do is give the guy a new boat. I mean, three years in the water. Uh, this was um, out of Nantucket, Massachusetts in August 2008. Scott Douglas, who was 58, watched his yellow fishing boat disappear, carried away by the swelling surf. He thought it would be the last time he'd ever see the queen bee. He was washed overboard and just happened to be washed overboard right next to uh, some life-saving gear, survival suit, uh, uh, life vest. Uh, at times, it's a very sketchy area. You wouldn't want to be dumped in the ocean there, but that's exactly what happened. Rogue wave knocked Douglas and his brother-in-law, Rich St. Pierre, off the boat into a sink or s- swim fight for survival. He remembers thinking the water was not too cold. The only way I was going to survive was just get started, not tread water. But swimming didn't come easy to St. Pierre, 68, who had gone through the open heart surgery a year earlier. However, survival kit cleaning inflatable and vice had been knocked off the boat and floated right next to his side. It was a miracle. Knowing the kit only constrained was the only item from the boat that fell in with him. He swam for about an hour and made it to shore off Smith's Point off the coast of Nantucket. Uh, he uh, got to a cabin, asked to use a phone to alert the Coast Guard. Not long after, he saw St. Pierre walking on dry land. At the end of the day, it just wasn't our time. So then you fast forward three years from later. France finds it floating off the coast, 26-foot center console fishing boat made by regulator. It sure looks like it had a lot of internal flotation. Well, a lot of those center consoles boats are kind of engineered with, you know, that they're even completely flooded, they're still buoyant. So 
I, I think they should be making a big deal about it. I mean, three years. They said it's unusual for a boat to make it all over. It's not unheard of that items will get dropped in the water and find their way, but they said it's very, very rare for that to happen to a boat. Yeah, did you look at the video with it? No, I didn't. I didn't watch the video. What was the video show? It just showed a couple of more uh, angles to the boat than interviews with the individual, but uh, sure had a, a deep center. But like you said, I, I can't believe they're not taking advantage of that. Yeah. Heck of a boat. Yeah. Missing a marketing opportunity there. And then and then we go from uh, a boat washing up to we had some some local uh, naval historian or something that was called in. I, I think it was some old fart was walking down the beach with a red <laughs> hat and they thought he knew something. <laughs> so this one is local expert weighs in on mysterious wood washed ashore. This one's out of St. Joseph, Michigan. Sounds familiar. Some mysterious wood turned up in a St. Joseph beach this week. Many people assume the 50-foot planks were from a shipwreck, so they called a local expert to get the thoughts. And this is a funny name, Mr. Don Are You mean our McEnany. local expert has thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Mac, do you know who this could be? I think it was my brother. <laughs> my other brother, Daryl. So how did they get a hold of you? Is this from the uh, the shipwreck announcement we'd done before? They just had you on the short list and called you out? Well, I think they called Jim first, and then he'd suck them on me because I was... I'm not working, and he was. How close no am comment. I, Jim? No comment. <laughs> but, but Jim did get down there later to validate what I said and what I looked at. Now, that's, that that's just, just means we're both wrong, Mac. You're going to both be equally wrong. Now, that was uh, just a flat, like, decking then. Yeah, that's a 45-foot-long piece of wood, three-foot wide, and it's five inches thick. Yeah, it looks like a solid piece. A lot of it was covered with sand and ice, so I couldn't really clear it off yet. And then the end, it almost looked like you'd have on a tongue and groove. Yeah. On the north end, it was shattered. On the south end that you can see in that pictorial, it's clear. The first two sections, those knobs are sort of sticking out for five mm -hmm. inches by five inches. The third one that seems to be cut a little bit is three by five. So it looked like it joined into a, a breakwater. And yeah, what looks, I had done as like I went back to my on. books and found a picture of Tiscornia Beach back in 1890, 95, when they used to have Planks Tavern where the beach is, basically where the sand dunes are, used to not be there. Used to be Planks Tavern, then they renamed it St. Joe Hotel. And going through the write-up on it, they said they had a breakwater in front of the hotel. That's the first time I've seen any indication of anything that would have been a breakwater. So... So the hotel, the when you looked up the article, you saw that it was a breakwater. Well, they talked about a breakwater, and the picture was from offshore back towards the the hotel, and you really couldn't see it. But they talked about it. This would be what I would have expected for that to have been. So the tongue and groove. Would you think that they that would have been they'd have in some sort of plant milled these out, and then that would have been how they'd have tied them together. I don't know if they would have milled them or chiseled them like they did in the old days. Yeah. Uh, but what I did not see is any any um, bolt holes, any areas that you would have put bar in to, um, like if you put the tongue and grooves together, you'd have had a hole down the middle to put an iron bar through and that would keep them connected. Uh -huh. There was no kind of ship spikings or anything like that that we could see based on the material that was available to us. And that's got to weigh a lot of, you know, 45 foot by three feet by five inches. Yeah. That's got to yeah. be very, very heavy. A very heavy a piece. Treated wood. You, oh, and that was like a creosoted type treating? Yeah, it was something dark like that. But 
I what I'm going to do though the first time that it clears out and we get a little visibility out there is I'll fly up and down the beach and see if I can see any other sections because I have been there after the ice just about goes away and have seen large sections of actual hull that when you go back later are not there yeah. in that in that same area. Yeah, and and we posted the photo up on the Scuba Obsessed Facebook page. And we'll also put some of the photos in the uh, post, the show notes for episode 100. Uh, somebody said they also saw it on AOL this morning. So uh, it seems like uh, shipwrecks and discoveries in the beach are, uh, are popular topics. Yeah. And the wooden chest that was under it is gone. It was empty. There's, don't worry about it. There's nothing to talk about on that part. Okay. And then uh, kind of the last one, not so much a story, but a something that we got coming up in the area. And this one was for uh, some SAS subaquatics uh, sent it in one of their newsletters. And there's a fundraiser for Calhoun County's dive team. It's a pool challenge for fun. February 25th at the uh, Marshall High School pool. The cost is a $15 donation for event and a $15 for a t-shirt. You put together teams of two. You must be certified, have a C card, bring your scuba gear and your tank. Make sure you have a rubber boot since it is in a pool. And they're going to have a competition, and you get to compete against the the dive team, and they're going to take a portion of the proceeds. They're going to go for the fundraiser, and $5 from each is going to go into the pot for prizes. So I'd like to see their course because they talked about it's a timed event, mm-hmm. and they said in, we'll include unique challenges like balance and aft. I can't make out what they were talking about. Lifting items, blackout conditions, a solemn course, hula hoops, and such. So yeah. it sounds quite interesting. Yeah, it does. I mean, even if you're not a diver, if you think you want to be a diver, I wonder if they got they got room for spectators. That's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, with so cameras. That would be neat to be down there and watch diver, that. Yeah, we, what we need to do is we need to get uh, uh, that other Michigan uh, video cast, see if uh, Talking Scuba come bring some video gear and they could record it. We'd have Jim out there with his GoPro. I yeah. think visibility would be good. Yeah. Keep you warm. We think Jim should Sorry. I think Jim should go and, and video this. Yeah. Well, we Sorry, need... I don't think we could do warm visible. Yeah. That, that, no. Right, you don't have to wear a wetsuit <laughs> or a dry suit. Yeah, you, you 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 could go in a speedo. Okay, maybe not a speedo either. <laughs> well maybe somebody else can take that part of the video. <laughs> like I said, I got a face for radio. No hamsters were hurt in the filming of this podcast. Okay, so that does it for Scuba the News this week. Then we have uh, some potentially cool scuba gear on the list. We have Otterwater Augmented Virtual Reality and Mixed Reality. This was, oh, that's a video. Paste that in the chat room, let people follow that around. Yeah, you click on that, you're going to get lots of drum noise real quick. (laughs) And then uh, GoPro. Now, now, uh, Jim, you've got a GoPro camera, don't you? Yes, I do, and I'm I'm getting used to it and really like it. Now, did you get the Hero 2? Yes. Yeah, okay. So uh, uh, something I just paste in the chat room and we'll have sh- links to is a really good review somebody did of the Hero 2. Gives all the specs. So so what's um, – now, you used that uh, – was it last week? You used that in a dive? Yeah. Uh, Sunday when we were out playing in the, the ice, I played around with it a little bit and realized that if you're going to use it both above water and below water, you got to put some uh, something on the lens so that the water droplets drop off. Otherwise, you get strange uh-huh. water drop hanging to the lens. Now, could uh, you use like that Rain-X type stuff that they use in car windshields? Yeah, that's what they recommend. Oh, okay. 
Okay, and then uh, another video that we have of the week is one on YouTube. Uh, make sure you watch this when you get a little chance of time, and they're they're showing about uh, something that uh, Noah is is doing, and they're trying to encourage people on the debris. So we talked about earlier in the show with fertilizer, and they're just trying to let everybody know that what they do on land is affecting what's going on in the water, and, and we see that a lot. I think uh, the water conditions are getting better in the river as we improve the waste treatment uh, upstream. We still got a long way to go. I'd like to see South Bend and Elkhart and all those communities stop dumping uh, raw sewage every time it rains into the river. I know. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I still think it's happening quite a lot. I don't think it's happening as much as it used to. But Did you get a chance to take a look at the video? For the for the, the marine debris? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I did watch. That's a lot of netting and stuff they've got out there. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's the type of stuff that scares me. I mean, we've, we've run into that. When we do the, the dive there off the cement plant, uh, there's yep. netting netting there. Yep. And that netting just... I ran into a, a very large net that was partially submerged up there off of Duncan Bay many years ago that had to been, oh, half a mile long. It was wow. an Indian net that broke free. Now, when you say Indian net, was that a modern Indian net or something a little older? Yes. No, it, it's a modern one, but it had broken free. And the buoys, they only had two left. And it was just coming off the bottom. But you go down there, one, you had to be careful not to get entrapped in it. But there's lots of fish that aren't going to be harvested. They were just stuck in the net now with their gills. Yeah. Well, they say that's one of the things about the net. When those nets get trapped, uh, they continually keep killing. They'll just, yeah. things will keep finding their way in and dying. And, and then things that smell them dying will go in and they'll get caught. And it just keeps going. And some of these nets now, when you get nylon nets, I mean, they're going to be there for an awful long time. And that they show that in the video too. So... Uh, you know, anything we can do to help clean up and, and make sure things don't get in the water, the much better off we are. That's why they need grubbers like us. Yeah, yeah, we're down there, and that's what I do every time I go down. And, and I have to say, part of it's for selfish reasons, because I want to get it out, so next time I don't have to find it, I can get to the good stuff. Yeah. So that does it for the news. We, we, we finished the news up fairly well this week. So now we're going to go right on in and talk about last week's dives. We did get some dives in. We had... Uh, Myself, Mac, Jim Schultz, and Jim Kleeman all went and dive. And then we had uh, Jim's son, Josh, did a little bit of shore support before he had to go into work. Did we have anybody else I missed? Oh, Richard. Didn't Richard show up? Yes. Yeah, Richard Curtis was there. Yeah, Richard was Curtis wet. was there. So, uh, so Jim, what, did, what was your thought of the dive? I enjoyed it. It's been a while since I've been under the ice. And I didn't stay under that long because I was having a bit of a free flow. So I've got to do some work on my regulator. But... Uh, it was fun to just get out, play around under the ice again. I was amazed how warm I stayed because I stayed in the water for quite a while with Richard breaking the ice and then tending for Don when he was under. Mm-hmm. Which yes. I appreciated. Yeah, because uh, we, we got there and uh, you guys were breaking through the uh, the water, uh, breaking through the ice, trying to get a channel out to, to free-flowing. So uh, how, how was that, breaking the ice? It was amazing how uh, war the how it wore me out because uh, you would the ice was only three quarters to an inch thick so you could break it just by putting your weight on it and then pushing down a little bit or trying to kick up uh, but you know i could certainly see how a swimmer or a fisherman or someone who went through the ice uh, would very quickly tire trying to pull themselves out situation like that oh yeah if you, if you didn't i mean you're going to get cold for one thing that'll sap your strength away and, you know, because you'd be pulling yourself out, then you'd break through and then pull yourself out again. 
that would be a tough time for for somebody. So yeah, I know that you, you notice how Jim and I we we waited until you guys had had it all broken, and then we went out. Well, that's why we did it for you. <laughs> we um, appreciate it. Is we we had that open water. I mean, we could have just it was deep enough that we could drop down and have gone under the ice mm-hmm. uh, out to the open water. But I just thought, eh, what the heck? We're not that far away. Let's go ahead and break it all the way through, and now we've got a choice of open water with floating ice or the pack ice. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I noticed, and uh, I don't know, did you think the same way, Mac, that with the rope going over the ice and then down, that seemed to be tougher to keep in contact with a tender than it is if we just went down through a hole. Oh, absolutely. There's too many snags, and that's why when I went down, I went down and then straight and then out, so there's no angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not crazy about ice getting my line. Yeah, yeah, because that was, that was a little bit tougher. I, I know that I was, because I was on the line, and it just... I just didn't have as much of that contact that I like to normally have. But uh, visibility, I think the visibility was about the same, maybe a little less than last week, wouldn't you say, Mac? I figured I had a good five feet. and We we didn't have lights or anything, but I think the video will show we didn't do too badly, especially when it's like eight or nine feet deep areas. We had some good light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it was five to ten. When when you got down past the weed bed and, and sort of got on the slope. Wasn't bad at all. I mean, it's good enough to start looking at bottles and stuff. Now, did you find any bottles? I did not bring any up because I did not take my goodie bag. But uh, I think I put one up on the anchor that I found, uh, that one large pole that we'd found down there. Uh, so there was a, a couple of shots, I think, of some bottles we looked at, beer cans. Yeah, I know you had at least one uh, whiskey bottle you picked up and put on the anchor. I had to make sure it wasn't full of whiskey. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a little hard to drink down there, so you do have to bring it up. Well, just strictly for medicinal purposes and to well, put in course. my regulator uh, antifreeze. It, it, it's yeah. only to disinfect the water. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and some water needs it more than others. So. Exactly. So Seems over like post dive, we always need to have more disinfectant. Exactly. <laughs> so. We had, uh, you know, so overall, I think it was a good dive. Everybody got out. Uh, not a long time. Didn't get a lot, whole lot of bottom time, but I always feel more comfortable keeping the skills up when we dive like this. You know, when we get every every weekend like we have well, been. You notice how your, your, your suit doesn't shrink as much either. No, it doesn't. That is true. That I, is I true. I don't know how that how that works that way. But yeah, and I'm discovering more holes in my gloves, so I got to do some patching. Uh, so uh, then, and then we did the post dive required meal at the hot spot. Chicken, <laughs> chicken. Yeah, I think I'm kind of chickened out. I don't know if I'm going to do next time we eat there. If I'm going to do chicken again, I mean it's really good chicken, but the mood for something else. So any talks of a dive for this weekend? Well, I'm going to go try pulling wings off of birds, uh, airplane birds. Maybe uh, Saturday if the weather's good. But I'm looking to see if anybody's available for Sunday. Hmm. I might be. I don't know yet. I got to run up to Lansing on Saturday. So I wonder what the ice would be like on Lake 16. It's a long drive unless we knew. Yeah. um, Yeah. We need to call some of our Holland Battle Creek dive friends and see if they've got any insight on the Lake 16. The the thing is the weather has been so, like today we had 40 degrees and it's raining right now. So we're just not getting a long enough, cold enough at night and it's getting too warm during the day. I can't believe that Lake 16 would have much ice. But if we dove back there at uh, Pawpaw, if we could get access to one of the houses mm-hmm. there in the Bay Area where the canal is froze over. 
Oh, I know. We could poke a hole there and actually do an ice dive because you got oh, a little deep water. We could do that right off of where they launched the uh, the dinghies for the sailing from the yacht club. Yeah, that little channel's right there. Now, Mac, you've you've dove in that channel in the summer with a hooker rig. Uh, not to the right that he's talking about where that hook is. I've been through the other side. Okay. When you first go, you turn left and you go down by the like you're going to the uh, launch area. Uh huh. I've been on that one. Okay. Because it's pretty clear and not a lot of obstructions. Okay, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing something like that. So I'll have to see. We'll have to get that cleared. Uh, and then I did uh, finally, I've decided I'm going to do the Moorhead City trip in Memorial Day. So I'm going to go wow. down and do that one. Well, remind me so I can put it on the calendar here for the club. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to go back down for the uh, shark teeth this year? I don't know yet. Uh, I think I might need to wait a little bit longer before that. Rich was trying to corner me last night and see if I was willing to do uh, uh uh, October, November time frame again. So I just think if I keep doing these trips, I'm not going to be able to get a dry suit. I'm determined to get a dry suit. I'm getting closer. I've kind of, I think I'm, I've kind of narrowed it down a little bit more. So I'll let everybody know when I, when I, when I figured out exactly what I'm going to get, or maybe I'll just surprise everybody and show up one day in the dry suit. That would be a surprise. That would be. So, but I, I, I've, I think I've got it settled. Now it's just a matter of hoarding money away in a secret hiding spot that nobody knows about. Now Does we know work? what happened to the chest. Yeah. What's that, Jim? A Mac? <laughs> I said, I don't remember what I said now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Must have been really good. Yeah. It was five seconds ago. I've already forgot. Short-term memory sucked. <laughs> Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, hopefully everybody in the chat room, we had a nice chat room tonight. Uh, make sure everybody, if you're in a chat room, you're definitely scuba obsessed, and you need to make sure you put your uh, pin on the scuba obsessed fan map. So you go to scuba obsessed, you click on about and it says fans and you click on there and it'll get you a map and you can put your push pin in. So slowly each week we're getting a few more people putting it in, uh, getting quite a few people visiting the website. It's always nice to hear about it. And then make sure you can follow us on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We're also on Twitter at scuba obsessed, all one word, no spaces. And then we'll have some show notes. We love those five star reviews on iTunes. And also, if you go into TalkShoe, you can do reviews there. Give us five stars there. And if you want to leave some comments as well. And then, uh, Mac or Jim, you got anything you want to plug before we get to the end of the show? Well, I can't think of anything today. I do need to plug a couple holes in my wetsuit or my dry suit. (laughs) I do know that some people are going to get to go back to Bowling Green and play around at the uh, research area a little bit next week. Yes, I am planning to do that. If, uh, for those on the on the line, Bowling Green University's got one of the greatest uh, files of shipwrecks and ship information from the Great Lakes. So if there's something you need checked out, drop me an email. I'm going to be there Monday afternoon for a while. I've got a pretty full agenda of things that I need to look up. But uh, if you got a hot one, I can see what I can find for you. Excellent. So... Now, are you, you going to just research some of the stuff you've already done, or are you hoping to find something new? When Don and I were there in the fall, we spotted some things on ship construction that I didn't get copies of everything that I wanted to. And with trying to identify Max Rec, uh, I think there may be a few leads there that we've got to go back and I'm going to get copies on. And then I've looked through their archives some more and found some other 
pieces of information on some shipwrecks of the area that I want to take a look at and see if there's any new information about those wrecks. Excellent. So everybody hang on after the show and we'll have, uh, soon, as soon as we finish scuba obsessed, we'll bring you on and, and let you chat, uh, on this hundredth episode, get everybody to talk about it and give some feedback. Let us know what you want to do for the next hundred. So let's see, is there anything I'm forgetting? Go back through show notes. Always feels like I'm forgetting something. So, but I don't think so. Maybe I'm just stalling. I don't, you know, the, the joke might be that bad. Okay, so everybody hold on. You ready, Mac? Uh-oh. I'm ready. You ready, is Jim? Is it that time? Yeah, it's that time. Yeah, is we it really that time? It is. We can't We can't delay it any longer. Okay. So, so here we go. Get ready for it. Well, wait, I'm, now I just got to find a joke, isn't I got so many of them. See, I, I, it's, it's kind of like wine. I've got all these kegs of jokes just fermenting, and I'm waiting for them just to get to the right amount of stench and then that's when you know they're really ready uh oh they're saying the episode 100 joke must be an epic no pressure <laughs> not that the pressure's on no pressure at all okay let's see uh oh there's a, a chant starting a chant joke 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 joke, joke, joke. Chant in the chat room <laughs> oh, okay seen that before, but that's cool that's nice yeah it, it kind of has a it kind of has a nice catch to it so uh here we go Mike was attending his divers club's monthly meeting and just told them he couldn't make the upcoming wreck dive because of his missus wouldn't let him go. After putting up with the normal whooped comments and other derisive remarks, Mike left to go back home to his missus. When Mike's buddies started arriving the next day to catch a dive boat, who should they see but Mike, sitting with his gear all loaded, ready to go? They asked him, how did you talk to missus into letting you go, Mike? I didn't have to, was Mike's reply. When I left the meeting, I went home, slumped down in my chair with a beer to drown my sorrows. Then my missus snuck up behind me, covered my eyes, and said, Surprise! When I peeled her hands back, she was standing there in a beautiful see-through negligee and said, Carry me in the bedroom, tie me the bed, and you can do whatever you want. So here I am. You know, that is a very fitting scuba-obsessed joke. <laughs> You think she's going to be mad when you go back home? <laughs> Just remember one thing. Your wife can only get so mad. Once she reaches that point, no matter how much longer you stay or what else you do, it can't get any worse. So are you advising people that if you're going to do something bad, make sure you got a real doozy? You know, pile it on? You might as well pile it on. Just let it go. Yeah, Mac, I think this goes back to the one where we had a difference between balls and guts. Yeah, what I keep thinking of, you know, a portable one-gallon container of gasoline. I, you know, you know, when 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 Jim's saying that they only get so mad. Yeah. You just gotta think, Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> uh, you gotta remember, not not get mad, get even, and get ahead. Yours probably. <laughs> so. Until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs>